Welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Joining me is... Scotty Hertz coming to you from uh, Maxell Chrome Tape 90 Minutes, 45 Minutes. So, sorry, Adam and I were talking cassettes before we come on the air there. So I was thinking back to the good old days where... It was all 90 minutes. Oh, and then there was a 110 cassette, too, wasn't there? So mm-hmm. Let's extend it slightly, but every song starts to wobble after about 100 plays. But No wobbles here today, though. Probably. Hopefully. <laughs> yep. And you used to have to get your movies on a tape, and uh, your your uh, if you wanted to uh, download something from the computer and take it with you, you had to put it on basically a tape that was like flat in a little plastic case. We're going to oh, change this, this to the old the old czar, right? <laughs> yeah, this the is old getting... czar. I'm Scotty Old Man Hertz, and yeah. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure CFRU already has that show, but it goes back even further. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good show. It's a good show. It is a good show. It's a good show. Well produced. Open Source is the CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be none other than Guelph's mayor, Cam Guthrie, who will talk to us about this last few months of council, the advocacy work that's coming up with the provincial government, and whether or not he's a tyrant. And... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you may be surprised by his answer. Uh, that's at the bottom of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about uh, the debate over vaccine mandates. We are running out of people that want the shot, so should we be making everyone else line up and get one? But first, and uh, you have probably seen the raw footage last week in uh, two actions in Toronto area parks. The Toronto police forcibly cleared. Uh, one was Alexandria Park. And the day before that, it was the area around uh, Lamport Stadium. And this comes, this was uh, the hat trick because uh, just a few weeks ago, there was also a clearing of the Trinity Bellwards Park. And none of it looked very good watching uh, police uh, basically be as, basically being their worst selves <laughs> trying to clear these parks of homeless people who uh, don't have anywhere else to go. Yep. And the, uh, the word that seemed to be thrown about the most was safety between mm-hmm. John Tory and the police. And well, no, things are unsafe. It's not safe. But, you know, uh, the contrary point to that is that a lot of the people living in these parks don't feel safe in the shelter system because they are overcrowded. Mm-hmm. There is COVID. There are other issues in there, including um, as when people are crammed together as they are, the potential for violence and has been violence but violence is was definitely the order of the day in this clearing the, one of the headlines was violence erupted it's like well not it did but that sort of is trying to diminish the point where i mean the violence came from the police mm-hmm. and this is a bit of a rerun because two months ago they had cleared uh lamport stadium park and it's not really a park mm-hmm. it's like a park at i'm not sure if people know the area uh, I used to work down there on, on Atlantic Ave in Parkdale. And so I Google mapped it just to kind of get the, the frame again as to what it looked like because it's been a long time. And the Google map image was from September 2020. And guess what? There was tents in the image. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if this is a new thing down there. So as I said, they were cleared out in May, but they didn't bring the heavy artillery then. And the, mm-hmm. the uh, there were some protesters, but they... 
each side was definitely anticipating the other. And in this case, that what did they have? They had private security. I'm not even sure were they from the stadium or from the neighborhood. There was mm-hmm. a, a hoarding fence put up. There was regular police. There was mounted police. There was bicycle police. There was the riot squad. I have no doubt that there was undercover cops there. And this is for literally for 10 to 20 people was the estimate of who was actually living there at any given time. Mm-hmm. So, of course, John Troy comes out and is like, well, it's the protesters. The protesters are causing it. The protesters are, are, are doing this. It's like, well, that's, you know, they were using G20 level tactics on this encampment, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than the other methods of, of trying to um, well, it's not even diffuse the situation. This, this was this was for trespass charges. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if they were going after like ISIS or something. This is like this is people who are trespassing, and the trespassers, because of of the law, were being removed. Right. So that it's it is that it's you know the hammer to, to kill a fruit fly. Right. It's what is going on here, mm-hmm. and of course the rumor is that. Um, it's not Bellwoods. I'm trying to think of this. There's, there's rumors of... Well, Moss Park. There's rumors that they're going to move... They're just going to move continuously through the parks of the city and clear people out. But then, of course, as I mentioned, like with the Google Maps, they'll just... They'll come back. Where is mm-hmm. there to go, right? Well, this is it. It's just, And I, I imagine there's kind of like a circuit, too, that, you know, you're going to clear people. I mean, the, here's the thing is... At Lamport, they uh, cleared out 26. Seven people took them up on the option to go to a shelter. Um, In Alexandria Park, there were 60 total tents. Uh, I don't know how many people, but only like nine or 11 people took up the offer to go to a city facility. So, like, they're not even getting... You know, a, a majority of people off these. So, you know, mm-hmm. where, do, where where are people without a home going to go? Well, they're going to go to someplace else. They're going to start again from scratch since, you know, it, it, that seems to be what happened is that people were forced out and their, all their stuff was binned. And I get that. And we see a lot of that here. I get that, you know, you kind of don't want people... <laughs> I guess in you know entrenched you know you don't want people you know t- turning what should be like a temporary situation into sort of a permanent situation. But I mean, I don't think people understand just how temporary shelter systems are. Um, you can only be in a shelter for part of the day. It's only open like it's pretty much sundown to sunup. That's pretty much when the shelters open. I don't know what the rules are in Toronto, um, but I know here in Guelph. Um, you get 28 days of emergency shelter and then you're out for three months because they've got to keep people coming in and out of that space. They got to free up the beds and, you know, theoretically, uh, you should be able to find a place to live in, in 28 days. Of course, you know, what is the likelihood of that? If you're living in a shelter and you're trying to find a job and, uh, trying to find an affordable place to live, that's, it's, it's not always necessarily practical. And, uh, so all they're doing is, you know, kind of giving the kaleidoscope a shake and people are going to move to a different place. And again, it, it's also, as, as you said, it's because they don't feel safe in the shelters. They, you mm-hmm. know, it's threat of physical violence, threat of COVID. And to give you some idea, on June 14th, um, there were 4,790 people in the shelters, which there's supposed to be a max occupy for the shelters at 
3,225. So it was like they were 40% above their max limit. So again, how, how safe can they be if, um, you know, they're, they're that overcrowded? It's, you know, and all you hear when you turn on the news is like, don't, don't be in a crowd. Don't be in congregate settings if you can mm-hmm. at all avoid it. It's just it, it's absurd. And so all all this does is like give the system a shake. Nobody really goes to a shelter after these parks are empty. And then you got to figure like is is that even a better situation? At least you know if they're in you know Alexandria Park or Trinity Bellwoods or, or Lamport, you sort of know where people are. But where are they now? Where where are these twenty some odd people who? who didn't, you know, from Lamport, who didn't take up the police officer for shelter, where are like the 50-some-odd people from from Alexandria? You know, police don't know. Police don't care. They just, you know, yeah, went into we the need park. This, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. we need this area clear because someone has deemed that this needs to be cleared out wherever the executive order comes from. I'm sure it comes yeah. from the city, but the charges like trespass charges are usually complaint-driven, right? So who yeah. complained? Yeah. And <clears throat> The, the the neighborhood there has changed a lot, as with all neighborhoods in Toronto. But when when I worked there, and it was right beside the Gardener, and the uh, GO station hadn't been renovated yet. I'm not sure if you've been down there since. You couldn't get off on the north side, so people mm-hmm. would go through the fence. Anyway, there was, in working down there, and there was never really any problems, but there was lots of people slept, not just under the Gardener, but on the other side of the tracks, because there was a space that was kind of isolated out of the way. And we, you know, we did honestly got to know some of them. that's how chronic the problem was right mm-hmm. because the wave of gentrification in the neighborhood was beginning the shelters and the and the large houses you know former mansions or whatever that became where people lived were getting turned over and that's been probably a more than 20 year process but that that's that's the way it's going and that's how you end up specifically i'm sure everyone staying in lamport park there wasn't from the neighborhood but that doesn't matter at any given time, you, the numbers you mentioned there about the shelter system, which is somewhere roughly like close to 4,000 in it, uh, if I understand it right, there's somewhere between eight and 10,000 known homeless people in Toronto on any given day. Mm-hmm. So more than double that amount that you mentioned there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, you know, the, the answer is, and this, I'm not trying to oversimplify or anything, but I mean, how do you, how do you house the unhoused? You build them homes. Or something mm-hmm. resembling a home, right? Mm-hmm. But as there, there's no there's no impetus or drive to do that. They seem so focused on well, well, there's shelter beds. You need to go into a shelter bed. It's like, and that's not the only can't be the only solution to this problem because it's proven that it's not a solution, right? Even yeah. if they had ten thousand shelter beds in Toronto, somehow if they opened up like those people crashing in Moss Park, if they opened Moss Park Armory, is that even still there? There's still armories interspersed in Toronto, like the, like ours in Guelph as well. You mm-hmm. could open that up and put cots in, and I think that's what people picture when they picture the shelter system. It's like this sort of orderly thing, not quite prison, but more like a camp, mm-hmm. and everybody's playing harmonica and singing a song. That's not <laughs> it. You know, that, that, I, I honestly think there are people that have that in their head. Yeah. And you know, f- further to the, the violence aspect of it, the, the following day, I thought this was interesting, too. There was a protest outside of uh, 14 Division yes, that blocked the street. And, of course, the police didn't like that either. So get the pepper sprout and then grab the first hippie that they find and then do do what they were doing in the park. <clears throat> they caused all the bad press in the yeah. first place. It's like yeah. this is round two. It's like, oh, you're going to come protest us and we'll do the same thing. Right. What is that achieving? 
right? <laughs> it's, it, it achieves nothing. Not only the optics terrible, mm-hmm. but it's like you, you're just you're just proving the points that people were making. And, and I'm sure you saw it. I don't know, that one picture of them, the guy giving the knee mm-hmm. uh, to the one protester and mean right, contrasted with the 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 ex uh, chief of police saying, no, we don't use that move. And they arrested the person that took that picture. Yeah. Just yep. like a journalist like yourself, just down documented that they arrest them. The one person arrested at that uh, gathering too. Yeah. Um, strange. Strange that it was the photojournalist for Canadian press. How weird. Um, yeah, and you're getting at something that was kind of addressed in this piece on the conversation that I read, uh, written by a sociology prophet, the U of T. That you know, what people saw uh, at at the parks is emblematic of what people have been protesting last year since George Floyd, which is just like this overwhelming police violence that targeted marginal communities. And I, I don't know, I, there wasn't a census or anything, I, but, you know, there there were quite a few white faces among the homeless people there. So, you know, this isn't, this isn't necessarily a racial issue, although I, I, I do believe that, you know, racialized people are disproportionately reflected in the homeless population. Um, but this is another case of police brutalizing people who don't necessarily have power themselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if this was a situation of like a like a bunch of, I mean, how many protests in Toronto have we seen lately of yahoos in front of vaccination clinics? You know, yelling and screaming at people who are going in to get vaccinated that they're, you know, they're going to cr- be like mutated or magnetized or killed, uh, and the, the slow acting poison allegedly in vaccines. And it's like, well, I don't see any of those people being manhandled, and I think those people could arguably be a bigger threat than somebody who's just you know popping a tent in the park but yeah uh, it, it's all a matter of perspective i guess or punched or batoned or pepper sprayed or kneaded in the neck or all the things that happened with this clearance and yeah ma- i think i mentioned it mounted police as well i mean this this is the mounted police unit is down at the x so they were they're close by but mm-hmm. that's not the point it was mm-hmm. completely overbearing and and as we, as we saw, it's like there's there's no, there was was there really reason for that? I maybe they were expecting more protesters. I don't know. And there's that that shot of them with the uh, the barricade of, of skids or pallets or stuff that was lying around. Yeah. Even with that, does it merit this kind of response? Well, even that, it, was, it was pure it was pure pure violence. It wasn't like okay, you know, come on, time to go. It was like. They were there for. They were out for blood. They really were, right? Well, they had a line of cops. It looked like like the you know the war of eighteen, not the war of eighteen twelve, like the seven year war where everyone sort of lined up for for the battle and yeah. in, in lines to march in. And that's, yeah, it's <laughs> it just you know it seemed like they were spoiling for a fight. Whereas you know if the the if if the intention was to help people and not to clear property, then there would have been. F- social workers and you know ems people and and counselors and things like that but you don't call out like a a full mobilization if the goal is to help people you call it a full mobilization if the goal is to bust heads and that's what happened Mm -hmm. um speaking of busted heads uh (laughs) maybe not but uh we can't say that either sorry strike both of those redacted redacted 
<laughs> Fix you, still, you can't say your mind's blown anymore, right? No, that's 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 old language. We're working on. I'm working on it. <laughs> um, we're we're getting pretty up there in terms of uh, vaccines. Uh, I think Guelph has achieved seventy five percent fully vaccinated population, uh, which is really, really good. Uh, other communities are struggling, of course, which has prompted people to talk about vaccine mandates, specifically people who are almost definitely going to get infected at some point in the future, people who work in healthcare settings and people who work in schools. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of wishy-washy uh, political discussion on this, Scotty, including uh, from our own premier, who is uh, I don't have the exact quote, but he had some. He said something to the effect of like, "I don't believe in mandating vaccines, but like, please, please get one," which I don't think is a policy. <laughs> and sorry, you'll have to. Who who said it? That was the, that was Doug, the our premier. Oh, I Doug think he said former premier. I was like, "Is it Dalton McGinty? Who? who? <laughs> <laughs> you know Your what? You, met, you say that, but I haven't heard from Dalton McGinty in a while. Like no. Where's he? Where's Isn't he, he at? teaching somewhere? I thought he was teaching in the states. Where's he at? Dalton, if you're out there, give us a buzz. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, who knows? Well, that went to a strange place. Anyway, yeah, did, how does he feel about the vaccines? We don't know. Um, yeah, it looks a lot of what is coming out now, and it's it's pretty clear what the workaround is going to be because there's certain people that they can't say you have to get a vaccine is going mm-hmm. to be. We are just going to, and I guess there's certain situations, let's say like uh, K to 8, where the the pupils won't be vaccinated. So if the teacher isn't vaccinated or whatever, it's going to be like a series, it's going to be continuous testing and then a period of time off, off, which could extend up to 20 days if you actually do have COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this is their way of not so gently suggesting that, you know what, just go get vaccinated. Stop being a goof. And just get it done, right? Now, there are, to be fair, there are people that can't get vaccinated. There are people, and they are well within their rights not to. That is that is the truth. Um, and that's fine. But, the, the but is big. Um, there are those who, who are just sticking to the, the disinformation that is mm. up. And also helping propagate it, let's say. Following the whatever the heck the disinformation doesn't say, and so there, rather than just say no, I'm not going to get vaccinated. It, there, there's a fight involved, right? And, and it's not helping. the 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 country is a lot. Literally, I predict, we all predicted this, but there's like there's vaccines on every corner. Yeah, <laughs> there is no reason right now for you to say. You do, if you know, while I believe in vaccinations, but I have you know the science is out and the homework is out, it's like no 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 like go get it now so you can be ready for September because that's when it's really going to hit right it's it's definitely going to happen the rate that Delta is working on the unvaccinated population you're going to get it in all likelihood not a certainty and I'm not wishing this on anybody but this is how it's going to go you're probably going to get Delta and if you have no protections. Then God help you, because it's it's going to be bad, probably. People are getting it. You know, there, there's all this talk of the oh, the breakthrough infections, and it's this oh, and the vaccines aren't doing anything. Uh, you know, that infection is seems to be kind of mild, mm-hmm. rather than earth shattering, which is what will happen in all likelihood if you get a variant that 
you know, like Delta. That's that's just running rampant, as we've seen, through the states. It is on the upswing in BC and Alberta again, who got rid of masks. And you went to the Calgary Stampede without vaccination because COVID's over. No, yeah. it's not. It's not done. You can tell yourself that in your head, <laughs> but reality and science will tell you otherwise that it's not done. Well, here's some science that I got directly from Dr. Mercer, our, our medical officer of health is, you know, number one is if you are fully vaccinated and in the unlikely event you do get COVID, um, you will experience mild to no symptoms. Um, for the people who are fully vaccinated and get COVID, like the quote unquote breakthrough cases that you mentioned, it's like basically 0.02%. So essentially two out of every 10,000 people. So if we're talking about Wellington, Dufferin, Guelph, which has a population of about 250,000 people, we are talking about 50-ish. So that's, I mean, your odds are pretty good. 50 out of a population of 250,000 getting, you know, full-blown COVID. And then the, the final part is, like, one of the reasons why we know about the breakthrough cases is because of, like, rapid testing. Like, I, there's been a couple of instances where the New York Yankees have announced that players are off because they have COVID, even though all the players on the Yankees have been fully vaccinated. But that's because they're still, like, regularly tested. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they do get COVID, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb because they're still getting a swab stuck up their nose every now and then. The, the, um, the thing is, uh, I think Wednesday, according to Dr. Moore, um, the, the medical officer of health for the whole province, on Wednesday it was like sort of like the last day you could get a vaccine and still be fully vaccinated two mm-hmm. weeks in advance before school, the first day of school on September 9th. So that's something to keep in mind. And then the other thing to keep in mind is like it's this isn't an anti-vax, like in terms of like people are politically anti-vaccination. Yeah. Um, I mean, there you see people on the news all the time. It's like, oh yeah, I just haven't gone and got it yet. Or, oh yeah, like yeah, I'm just waiting to see for the science. Like there are people who can be easily got, and I think that's where sort of the, the idea of the mandates come in, right? And we're seeing this oddly enough, uh, corporate America kind of leading the way on this, with saying like, uh, if you want to be back in the office, you have to be double vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we want all of you back in the office <laughs> because, you know, they don't want people working from home because, I mean, it's like corporate drone, drone thinking that, you know, somebody who's working from home is, you know, sitting there with, you know, a beer in one hand and, you know, you know, a, a sandwich in the other while watching YouTube videos. But it's, you know, sounds like a great is, job. Well, that's the thing. It's the visionists are not doing their job, but it's 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 very shortly going to be a corporate reality that the more corporations kind of like, oh no no, you're coming back to work and you're going to be double vaccinated to do it, or you're going to find a new job. I mean, that's a Mm -hmm. little heavy handed, but I mean, corporations within their rights. They're well within their rights, and and corporations will definitely go that way because you know being sick is unproductive. So. the real issue right now is what's government going to do about it? And it's just so mealy mouth and wishy washy. And when, so when Doug Ford says, I don't believe in mandates, but everyone get a vaccine and I'll drive your kids onto school on, on the oh bus. Boy. and everything. Oh, that was, that was rich. You know, it's cause they're, they're free. Good luck getting your license. Like a one year wait, dude. 
<laughs> but they're afraid. It seems like we're just afraid of the, the, the anti-vax lobby. As soon as you say something pro-vax, you get all the online chirpers chirping at you. And it's yeah. just like, it's, I don't think this is the time to be afraid. And this is the time to encourage people. Like, we're so close to the, the vaccination finish line that yeah. we just need. We just need to get those last few people who are gettable and and get them, so to speak. Yeah, because to, to to what you're saying, that the thing that would move forward in that direction, move the needle instead of like what did he call it? The splits is we don't want to split society. The split is <laughs> it's, it isn't really a split. It's like there's this little bit that's cleaved, saying no way ever, and then as we've seen in Guelph and places, eighty percent, eighty five percent, like it's just very high. It will be the economic argument that makes it right. And if he starts to feel pressure from the friends at the Loblaws and the whatever and the Amazon and the whatever of Ontario and the world, that is what will that is what will change his mind. Yeah. Putting aside the economic argument, we're seeing it in the in the U.S. now. Particularly, there was a few releases this week saying uh, Biden. I think it was today. It was like federal employees vaccinated, uh, Veterans Administration who deal with a lot of older people, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They need to be vaccines are mandatory. And then I think in some other areas, they're doing the same approach as uh, Ontario, which is like, well, if you're not going to get vaccinated fully, we're going to test the heck out of you Mm -hmm. to the point where you're going to have so many swabs up your nose. You're going to pray for that (laughs) needle in your arm. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's that's how it's going to that's how it has to go, because if we're going to keep COVID in check, the ways to do it are to get people fully vaccinated or continuously test. Even if it was rapid testing, right? Yeah. To get it to to sort of push it forward. And hopefully we will see that for the, the shirkers. And though and to be fair, those that can't get vaccinated. Well we have to immunize ourselves against talking for the whole hour and take a quick break. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Cat Records pick of the week, Royal Cat Records, 21 MacDonnell, the little big record store in the downtown. Number 10 on the charts this week, the mm. that is, that was The Mountain Goats. The album is called Dark In Here, just out, and that song was called The Slow Parts on death metal albums. Some good drumming in there, reminds me of another drummer in town, it's fairly well known. <laughs> Uh, somebody spoke to him earlier, maybe today or yesterday. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, it was earlier this week. Um, and that album uh, mentions albums, but you know, I thought somebody might like that drum line in there. So, un- unfortunately, Fitness Club fiasco is not uh, on our digital library. But yeah, so we did talk I to the drummer, range, 
right? We did talk to the drummer of Fitness Club Fiasco. His uh, real name, of course, is Mayor Cam Guthrie. He's the mayor of our town. And uh, city council just wrapped up uh, for a summer break last week, so it seemed like a good time to check in with the mayor and talk about recent events, uh, including uh, housing, including uh, the funding for Impact, the AMO conference is coming up. We talked about that, and uh, there's some people in town who don't like the way the mayor has mayored during this whole crisis, and we uh, we touch on that before the end. So why don't we hit play on the interview right now? So Mayor Cam Guthrie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. I thought in order to cover as much ground as possible, we will work backwards from the most recent council decisions to uh, as far back as we can go in, in the time okay. we have. Um, so so what you're doing is you're helping me with the, the stuff I can remember really well <laughs> first. So then my memory starts to fade as you go. <laughs> I, well, I could say the same about myself. Um, so. We had another big housing decision last week. The The transitional housing at 65 Delhi was approved. Uh, I'm curious, though. I mean, this is like the third kind of big housing project in, in the this year. Very yeah. important, very useful, very necessary. I'm wondering, though, how the, the city and the county, though, is kind of keeping track of these things to make sure that we're not just like throwing... Um, all this progress at just any old housing project and how we are actually managing the, the, the needs of, of people um, who do need housing in Guelph and how we're meeting those needs, how the projects we're approving are meeting those needs and that we're not just approving projects because they sound good. Yeah, no, very valid. In fact, we talk about that quite a bit, not only at the city level, but um, at the county because I'm able to, uh, for the last few years now, I've been able to sit as the mayor of Guelph on the social services committee at the county. Um, that relationship there, either, you know, formally like at the table or just in relationships with just talking to the members there uh, and staff, we talk about that quite a bit. So really what you're asking is what many of us are asking, which is bricks and mortar is one thing, but the operations of it is completely separate. The, the actual wraparound supports that the individuals need. Um, and so very valid. And that is where uh, there is a lot of advocacy work from uh, both city and from the county and individuals and, you know, uh, stakeholders in the community, uh, agencies in the community up to especially the province. Uh, that's really where a lot of the uh, operation uh, funding would come from. So just as much as we can have the land or have the building, and just as much as the federal government could have money to either purchase or build or renovate those buildings, we need the province to step up um, when it comes to the operations side of things. Now, in the meantime, it, um, as we continue to do that, and the, and the province is stepping up a little bit on that, by the way, so credit to them too, um, that is there capacity? And then that's kind of getting around your issue as well there too, right? Is there capacity to actually be supporting these as they get built or come online? And so that is one of the coordination benefits of all these agencies in the, in the city, including the county, uh, that has been able to find that capacity to bring those supports and that operational side to these supporting housing projects. So I don't have a concern with it right now at all because I, I you know I'm in the I'm in the know a little bit about the capacity issues that are happening there. 
but we're only maybe half or just over halfway of the housing numbers from the by name list of the, of the, of the individuals that need it. And definitely as we continue to try to fulfill the other, the other units that are required for the people on the by name list, we're going to start to need some help from the upper levels of government um, for that operation side of things. It also makes me think about, I mean, I mean, they're, they're two very different issues, but, you know, looking at the vaccine rollout right now, we, we got all the people who were very eager to get the vaccine. And now we are, we're at like the last 15, 20% and those people are harder to reach. And I'm wondering if it's the same thing with housing, like, you know, when there's no housing available and you start opening up housing, it's kind of easy to fill those slots. But then as you're kind of running down the rest of the by name list and, and, and other people who need sports, like is, is it, is, does it become more difficult that the more we kind of make uh, accommodation to find slots for people? Well, I'm speaking on behalf of sort of some others because they're the ones that run it and, and choose. But actually, I would flip flip it a little bit. I, I would disagree with sort of the, the way you've presented the question um, in that manner. It's actually very difficult to choose. That's what I'm hearing. Um, if I could say it this way, you know, you're on the shoreline and there's 140 people drowning. And you only have 60, uh, you know, life jackets to be able to throw in the water. Mm. Like, how do you choose? Which way are you throwing those? Right. And I think that's how some people in the agencies and the county and those that have to choose right now. The other ones that aren't being able to find that housing support right now is uh, they, they, they are very excited to get those places. They want, they want to try to get their themselves into a position to be healthier, make different choices, you know, get, uh, get where they're going um, in a, in a safer air, a safer way. So I think it's the choice part that's being difficult right now. It's like, Oh my gosh, we finally have housing and you've got to line up. You've right. got to line up of all those people that are equally eager to, to get a, to get a spot. Right. Uh, on a different topic, uh, the Dolime Quarry, that decision was uh, finally closed last week. Um, what are the next steps there? Like, I, I guess for people who are living, you know, behind it, you know, when can, you know, when can they expect that, the, like the quarry operations to be done at least, you know, what's the timeline there? So um, what I've been told is that a, a package, I guess, of, of, of all of the requests to the provincial government uh, to the Minister of Municipal Affairs, uh, will be, uh, I think, sent either this week, I think this week or next week, and that kind of formal package arrives uh, at at his desk, and then it's you know we just kind of wait because it ultimately is up the decision is up to to him and his staff, and I'm hoping to see things at least from the. Um, approval from his office i'm hoping no later than you know october mm. i'm hoping um and then so that's kind of the next steps part of your question and then the ending of the quarrying part i'm sorry i don't know that right <laughs> off the top of my head um i don't know that date i i, I don't know if it was even discussed so i'm mm. i'm just trying to re- I, I just don't know i just don't know that answer but i would imagine it would be you know, there, there's lots of things involved there. There's the kind of the shutting down of the operations that would obviously take some time. Um, and then there's the water management. So right. the, of the, of the quarry itself. Right. So 
Um, I think there's like a lot of sort of steps and a lot more to come, but the overarching goal of shutting it down, protecting our water quality and quantity, getting all three different councils on board and the communities on board to send this request to the, to the provincial government. That's all gone very, very well, a long time, but it's gone very, very well. I noticed that council, uh, although members were, were pleased about uh, this finally coming to, to uh, an end um, on the issue. Uh, there was a lot of, um, concern about the use of the ministerial zoning order, the MZO, um, you know, these things are kind of done with the approval of council. I mean, it's not yep. just they're, they're being imposed by the province. So the councils are kind yep. of seeking them out too. Given that, can you talk a little about um, that apprehension and maybe some assurances that this is not going to be a part of like a regular part of council planning business to seek out the MZOs? Because I mean, there are a lot of people in the community too, that, that, probably appreciate the the quarry closing but don't like the looks of using an mzo to do it yeah so you know one of the questions i should probably know the answer to is is this like the only time that something like this has ever been asked for i kind of <laughs> think it is so it's not a, you know it is a tool i said this all the time it's a tool in the toolbox but it's like underneath a whole bunch of tools in the bottom <laughs> corner you need the flashlight to kind of look down like it's not it's not something that's readily available um it's not something that has been broached to me anyways as a counselor by staff or by the community or by counselors in regards to any other matter except for me <laughs> uh, broaching it maybe uh i don't know maybe six or seven or eight months ago something like that about uh supportive housing okay. uh because my concern was appeals Mm. On that, the overarching, I think, issue for me, as I understand it from people that don't like uh, the use of MZOs, is the lack of um, public engagement, that sort of feeling like stuff's being done without the proper processes or, quote unquote, behind closed doors, things like that. And um, that's where this particular case with Dolime, I mean, it was completely not that we had we had a major public consultation. Everything was done in the public uh, realm when it came to, you know, serving and getting feedback. Everything was done out, all out in the open. Uh, and, and, um, and so I just feel like that part of it is, is being adhered to. Uh, and also, um, especially again with Dolime, um, all the, the future processes, uh, again, I mean, that was embedded in the language of, the actual motions, uh, all those planning processes, all exactly to be adhered to um, moving forward. So I, I think there's a lot, I think there is a lot of rhetoric around MZO. I think there's a lot of politics around it. Mm -hmm. um, I think the provincial governments, many of them have used it, doesn't matter what color you are or what party you are. Um, on this particular, in this particular case, it is accurate. It's factual to say that MZOs that have been requested, like, you know, for the absolute most, most, most part, um, have all been approved by local councils. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think the only question that I would ask those local councils is, did you do public engagement? Did you do things out in the open? Are future processes going to still take place? Exactly like what we did with Dolime here in Guelph. If those types of public engagement and processes were all done and there's a really good reason as to why to do an MZO, 
and it was supported somewhat by the community, then I think, I think there, there is a reason to use that tool every now and then. And when you look at the things that are getting built across the province, um, there is supportive housing that's getting built because of MZOs. There's, uh, I think, like a brain injury clinic that's getting built because of MZOs, long-term care because of MZOs. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and some residential too. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's, 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 but there is reasons why those municipal councils elected, duly elected municipal councils made those decisions. And so, um, yeah, it's controversial, but I think at the end of the day, even Guelph had to use the tool. Right. <laughs> uh, this isn't strictly council business. Well, it was because there was a, a motion brought to sort of um, endorse the move. But um, since you're on the police board too, I'm, I'm thinking about the ex- uh, trying to expand the impact program. Oh, and, yes. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, the police services board, council, our MP, our MPP, uh, the hospital have all written yep. uh, letters of support to, to get the 24-7 funding. I am curious, though, from your discussions with uh, the higher-ups, what the likelihood of that, and if it is, if, if there's no provincial funding in the offing, are you prepared uh, to suggest that Guelph go it alone? Because the price tag would be about one and a half million to make it a 24-7 program. Yeah, so that question, that the last part of your question there, it would be absolutely irresponsible and uh, of me and not to fully admit out loud transparently that um, all options have been on the table, including how do we how do we make this happen? Like how do we make this happen? That's that's where I'm um, always trying to go on this. The right place to make it happen, as all of those people you named uh, off the top of your. Uh, uh, question there um, is the provincial government. <laughs> uh, no one denies that. So when you have Canadian uh, mental health associations say that it has to come from the provincial government and the hospital and the police board and council uh, and uh, the general hospital, whatever, all those places are all saying they are all pointing to the place where that funding should be coming from. Um, that's obviously the right place to go. Um, uh, and knock on that door over and over and over again first, mm-hmm. because that, that, that's where it should be coming from. Uh, I will say, though, in, embedded in your question there was, you know, how, how do you think it's kind of going? Like, you know, uh, do you think it's really going to happen? Are you feeling positive about it? Uh, well, by, by, uh, by fluke, uh, we had that uh, uh, sod turning um, ceremony on Friday morning for that $50 million uh, children's mental health facility that's getting built in Guelph. Right. And the minister of uh, mental health and addictions was there. Uh, minister Tibolo, I think is how you say his name. And that was the first time I've ever actually met him. Uh, and so uh, like any good mayor, I, uh, we did the um, uh, sod turning. And then I went up to him and his staff and I said, I need two minutes of your time over here in the corner. <laughs> and uh, so I always, uh, I always take the opportunity to do those, that advocacy work. And let me say in that two minutes, uh, you know, that brief conversation as we're uh, out doing a completely different event, he was very, very interested in it. Uh, and I do know that our MPP, uh, Mike Schreiner, also had an opportunity at the same event to talk uh, to him as well. And, um, 
you know, the invitation was from him to me to, to contact him, uh, to talk about it further. And so you can bet that I'll be doing that. So here, here's hoping. Good. Uh, I know that Amos in a couple of weeks, and that seems like another opportunity for advocacy on, on, on numerous levels. What's the plan for this year's AMO and, and what are you and the team going to be kind of, what's the shopping list this year for AMO? Yeah, I think it shouldn't surprise anyone. I think, you know, business supports, uh, transportation. Um, I, I think there's the transportation side of it that Guelph usually goes at it um, as our own delegation, but we also look to always, it doesn't matter uh, how many years I've been doing this now, um, uh, the uh, innovation corridor. So you have like Toronto and, and uh, Guelph and Kitchener and Waterloo and Cambridge, like all doing uh, another delegation when it comes to all day two-way go service. Uh, so that that continues. Um, I have asked uh, as well for long term care. Uh, remember, remember all these uh, this list of, of things to talk about. Um, it doesn't mean you'll get it. Right, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it is it is it is the things that that, that you put your, your name forward for. Uh, and and so um, that's just a, just just a few. Right. Um, one of the one of the things I know I'm I miss about being in person is, is that a lot of great conversations happen in the hallways. Right. Uh, just, just like it's a fluke, right? You turn the corner and then there's the minister of whatever, fill in the blank, uh, or there's the chief of staff or whoever. And you can, you can just pull that person away and say like, this is what Guelph needs. This is what we're looking for. This is why it would be good for you. Why it would be good for us. Um, and so the virtual uh, because of COVID um, it is a lot more very formal now. You get your little, uh, literally, you get your 15, 20 minute slots. Right. Uh, very similar to the delegation I'm doing with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what, you mean watching the clock, making sure we don't go? Over. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, normally, when we're in person, we have uh, uh, three knocks on the door. So, whatever yeah. room you're in uh, somewhere, you'll get three knocks on the door, and that's your one minute warning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We are still technically under a state of emergency because of the pandemic. That's that's correct, right? Yeah. Any idea when that will kind of be formally over? Or is it, is it over the day we get to zero active cases? No. So <laughs> so I have been um, uh, I have been really uh, contemplating, I guess is the right word for this since. I think the week that I really broached it was like June 20th or some, somewhere in there. Hmm. So uh, I've been uh, really discussing that issue with the administration and the public health unit, um, not from a pressure point of view, just to understand there was a reason why we did the state of emergency, why I declared it. We need to start to think about how, how we need to rescind it and, right. and, and get back to uh, a sense of uh, normal for the city. Now, the one thing that people need to understand is that, um, you know, is it really going to change your life, Adam, or my life, or my neighbor's life, or if if all of a sudden today I said there's there we're not in a state of emergency? Right. Probably not. Like you're not going to feel different the next day because the state of emergency is very much catered to uh, really, really two things, if I could, could say this. The first is delegated authority 
mm-hmm. to the CAO of the city or to the executive team where they can quickly make decisions for the health and safety of the community, spending on PPE, um, uh, approving, uh, you know, programs to help with, uh, with, um, you know, uh, things within the, the city to make them health, health and safety issues. Right. So, uh, you don't want a council to get in the way of making decisions quickly. And that's why that delegated authority is there. The second part is more on a employee side. Mm. So where, um, where we would, where the executive team would need, you know, three people to, you have to, I know your job description is a, uh, but we need you to go and help clean or something and do something with B. And so you can kind of transfer and use staff, um, a little bit more interchangeably to help with, again, the pandemic uh, issues. Those are really the top two things uh, for Adam, you and the listeners. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there is, uh, there is going to be, uh, there is going to be uh, what I would call targets that mm-hmm. will be looked at for the community to look, to try and, uh, you know, meet targets collectively as a team, you know, team Guelph that we can all do it together so that we can then look, I, I can then look to, to, to say that um, I'm rescinding the, the state of emergency. So definitely it has been something that's been on my mind for a while now. And um, there's, but there's a lot of moving pieces with it. There's a communication side of it. Like, do you want to, do you want to tell the community that everything's absolutely fine? Right. Uh, I mean, back, back, um, back in June, I just remember this now when I was thinking about trying to see about doing this, one of the reasons why I decided not to do it at that time was Guelph was sandwiched between uh, like Waterloo, Kitchener, Waterloo and Peel. Right. And, uh, and we had the Delta variant starting to really kind of rise and grow that. Right. So, like there's, there's so many moving parts and our, our health unit, um, like you want to be united, right? You don't mm. want to have Guelph go at it on its own. And then uh, Wellington County is doing something else. Uh, so there's, there's a lot to consider and, uh, you know, very thankful for you know, smarter people than I that are advisors to advise me on things. And I, I take it very, very seriously and, uh, and that's, that's why, uh, since June till now, I haven't yet rescinded right. it because of all those inputs, but it's something will definitely be coming very soon. On one month, one more matter, really, really quickly, because you shared it on Twitter last week. Uh, the people who, you know, call you a tyrant for, you know, COVID measures. <laughs> um, I've heard some choice things said about you at any mask rallies. I mean, has it changed? <laughs> As, as like this kind of sniping sort of changed how you approach like the, the outreach you do on social media that, uh, you know, you, you, you becoming part of the, the grand faceless conspiracy <laughs> that's keeping people down. <laughs> yeah. No, it hasn't changed uh, anything at all. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to argue with the science uh, and uh, you know, from a communications point of view, I think as the mayor, you are a leader and you need to lead through some of that. Uh, and uh, I think people appreciate that, that you're taking a principled stance and saying, this is what I believe, this is the right, the right thing is for the community. And so you can have those yelling from the sidelines uh, as much as you want or nipping at your heels. I'm used to that anyways, pandemic <laughs> issues or not. Uh, and you, you need to be, you just need to push, push through that. And, um, you know, I was, I was actually uh, told today 
uh, already this morning was a, on a meeting in regards to the pandemic. And I was told uh, today that, um, you know, the only, the only people that are getting the test positivity are those unvaccinated or only one dose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and the ones that are, um, the ones that are, if they are getting um, COVID, they are usually, again, only one dose, uh, but they're not, they're not dying. They're not in ICU. They're not getting really sick. I mean, the, the, right. the evidence is, is overwhelming from a scientific point of view. So um, the quicker we all get vaccinated, the better it is. And uh, the science is proving that. And, and that's where my positioning and communications will come from. Uh, I want the city to open up uh, completely. I want us to get back to normal. And I want to help businesses and people and keep everyone health and safety. And, and we can do that through vaccination. Well, I have to close the interview down, but Mayor Cam Guthrie, thank you so much for all your time today. Yeah. Thanks Adam. Anytime. And once again, that was Mayor Cam Guthrie. And, uh, you know, we were talking during the break. He does have his, his fans as a, as a drummer. I mean, he has his fans as a mayor, of course, but, Mm -hmm. um, People do have fond memories of that band. I guess maybe it's still a band that's he's just not. Anyway, that's a story for I'm another time. Track the missing lost uh, Guthrie <laughs> tracks down and have a two-hour special. That's right. Unplugged. <laughs> One of these days there'll be no news, and uh, we'll have to fill time. So, uh, in the meantime, that's it for this week's show. You can stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can listen to the show again by downloading it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app, including Apple, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all CFRU-related information beyond keeping it at 93.3, visit CFRU.ca. Lots of good stuff there to catch up on, like the charts. And when yeah, we're, we're on cool. all that, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Um... Adam's on 10 times a week. You should know this. <laughs> well, I mean, Adam. if you count... If you count out all the replays, actually, maybe there should be like a bingo board or something. We'll talk mm-hmm. about it. Um, it's 6 a.m. Yeah. Uh, Thursday and he's on again. Yeah, no, no. That's right. <laughs> DJ Sounds Good to Me is at the top of the hour here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another Open Sources. And we will see you then. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.